The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. CW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast proudly brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. The ever-growing SJP World Media Network with more shows being added literally this week, but we'll talk about later on. Uh, my name is Sai, and joining me as always is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are you doing, my friend? Very well, very well, mate. How about you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Really looking forward to diving into this episode of Monday Nitro with you. Uh, there's quite a bit to be getting on with, I think, isn't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we're going to break into it in a bit, but just chaos everywhere, isn't there? There is. There is. It's quite an up and down episode. There's some good, there's some bad, there's some controversial, there's some memorable. So we'll dive into that in just a moment. The episode of Nitro that I'm referencing is, of course, the one that first broadcast on the 18th of November 1996. It was the go-home edition of Nitro for the World War III pay-per-view, uh, and it received a 3.2 share in the television ratings, whereas Monday Night Raw received 2.4. So, as always, as we know, it's going to be for a little while, because the old 83 weeks thing, Nitro wins the night again. But what I find quite interesting, Danny, is that combined overall we spoke last week saying that we had uh, a 0.5 rise in the ratings across both shows if you if you put them together as a collective number 0.5 rise together which is a nice little jump in people watching wrestling that monday night this week it's gone exactly the other way a 0.5 drop overall so I don't know whether these these additional p- people tuned in because th- you know their TV show was cancelled on another station. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's a it's a bit of a, a, a drop again, a 0.5 drop. Now most of it is on Nitro. Raw in the last few weeks has been relatively consistent with its 2.2s, 2.3s, 2.4s, and so on. Nitro is normally teetering over the uh, 3.1 mark going up to 3.2 3.3 we've even had a 3.7 in recent weeks so nitro whereas it's winning the night each week it's winning the the monday night war as people said each week um by quite a way 
its numbers are fluctuating up and down dramatic you know pretty dramatically in comparison to raw who are still you know obviously getting beaten but their numbers are pretty consistent each week over the last say month to two months i think danny Wow, that is quite interesting because it's like um, for the last two night shows, they've ended it in the same way. So maybe that's got something to do with it. Mm, yeah. And interestingly enough, the, the, the quarter hour breakdowns that, that they used to get into and, you know, in these TV ratings and when, the, when, when the, you know, each um, viewer count, each uh, ratings review, whatever, meant such a big deal to these companies during this supposed war that they were having. It got broken down to quarter of an hour segments to see who was doing well and who wasn't. I've been a little bit critical in the last couple of weeks of having the main event slot, I suppose, that the closing shots on Nitro being Hogan turn up and just have a bit of a dance. <laughs> but it turns out those have been the highest rated segments on Nitro oh. in the past two weeks. Oh, there you go. You can't argue with success, can you? Well, there you go. That's why he was paid the big bucks, brother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on this particular night across the channels, on Monday Night Raw, we have uh, Steve Austin defeating Mankind by disqualification, Farouk defeated Savio Vega, and Doug Furness and Phil Lafon defeated Leaf Cassidy and Bob Holly. My word, that is dreadful, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that really is, especially for a main event. Wow. That is terrible. I mean, the dark matches that these people got uh, on this particular night. I mean, you had the WWF champion, uh, Psycho Sid, defeating Vader in a dark match. So that's a little bit better for the live crowd, I guess. Yeah. Um, Scott Taylor, who, who went on to be Scotty Too Hotty, didn't he? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. him. Okay. Scott Taylor defeated someone called Nick Barbary. No idea who that is. No. And Glenn Roof <laughs> defeated Brian Walsh. So even the dark matches are a bit ropey, but I mean, my goodness, you've got Savio yeah. Vega, Farouk, yeah. Bob Holly, Leaf Cassidy. That, that is awful, isn't it? That really is. It, when you talk about putting uh, Sid Vicious or Psycho Sid versus Vader in the, in the dark match, that was, um, was that a Starcade main event in the works that didn't end up happening? <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, actually, no, you, no you're right. Yeah, no, Psycho Sid and Vader. Yes, 1993, yes. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, 93. Just, I, I thought you were making some... You, Sorry, go on. put that on television? I don't get it. Well, yeah. I mean, Sid did appear on the show. He did oh. have an in-ring uh, interview segment with Jim Ross. Um, he was the new WWF champion. He'd won it, I think, the previous night. Yeah. Uh, Survivor Series 96. He beat Shawn Michaels in Madison Square Garden. I think it was the previous night. It would have been much earlier in the month of November, would it? Because it's more the trail end of November Survivor Series, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. Sid, so Sid would have won the title the previous night. And he's also uh, apparently was talking about defending the title against Bret Hart at the next In Your House event. So, you know, it's, at least the champion was on the show doing something. Yeah. But, I mean, come on. Fuck you now. <laughs> Doug Furness and Phil LaPone in your main event. Have a word. Yeah, Bob Holly just nah. <laughs> it's not a good look, is it? It's not a good look. But never mind. What might be a good look? Uh, well, we're unsure. There's only one way of finding out. Uh, but what might have been a good look was a couple of nights previous on WCW television. Danny, Saturday night. What have you got for us? WCW Saturday night is brought to you by me, Scottish Danny. Saturday. A very packed week this week, sir. So. 
um, with a, a host of weird names because the opener we have Jim Duggan defeating somebody that I believe is in the CWF Hall of Fa- uh, Hall of Lame, and that is the Gambler. The Gambler, ah, oh, doesn't ring a bell. One of Mags's. I, mean, I say that I say that it doesn't ring a bell. I could have literally named it last week and I would have forgotten by now. So it's you know, everyone knows how my memory works. Uh, speaking of weird, we have Hugh Morris defeating Jim Powers. Okay. But in a good in a rematch from Nitro a few weeks ago, we have Chris Benoit defeating Hector Guerrero. I'm sure that was good. Yeah, they are. I mean, that's two guys who, who don't normally let you down, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, back to being weird, we have High Voltage uh, fought Hard Body Harrison and Jack Boot to a no contest. Do you know a lot about Hard Body Harrison, Si? I know he got himself in a little bit of trouble, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what was that for exactly? Um, I believe it was for human trafficking. Um, Ah, yeah. 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 He rented a load of houses in Georgia and basically used his WCW um, payout money for when he had that big lawsuit, that racial discrimination, he was part of it, and uh, bought a load of houses and kept uh, women in them and was basically like some sort of escort pimp. Um, I don't know how that world works, but, um, yeah, yeah, mad stuff. I believe he's still in prison. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, a little bit of a scamp, to say the least. <laughs> Who was his tag partner? Uh, Jack Boot. Jack Boot? Yep. Who the hell is that? I believe he's been on Saturday Night Before, but mm, I don't think okay. we've seen him on Nitro. <laughs> okay. I've never yeah. heard of Jack Boot. Yeah. I've never heard of but there we go. And there you go. That's it. Is that all your Saturday Night results? Oh, no. We've still got four more matches. <laughs> yeah, they stack this show, don't they? Go on. Yeah, they really do. Um, we have the Cruiserweight champion, Dean Malenko, defeating Juventud Guerrero. Okay. Yeah. We have um, D- Diamond Dallas Page defeating the Cheetah Kid. Cheetah Kid. Yeah, who we've seen on that show. And in our semi-main event, we have... The amazing French Canadians defeating Chavo Guerrero and Bobby Eaton. Now, that one weirds me out because why wouldn't you just team Chavo Guerrero up with Hector Guerrero, who was already wrestling this night? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But again, WCW, isn't it? So. <laughs> <laughs> and in our main event, somebody who's worthy of being in the main event. Our TV champion, Lord Stephen Regal, defeated Psychosis, and I'm sure was a, that was a good match as well. Yeah, and, um, and when we uh, get into this episode of Nitro, they mentioned that Regal is going to be wrestling, I think it's Dean Malenko, on next week's Saturday night. Yeah. That sounds good as well, doesn't it? Yeah. No, well, no Danny, we're not going to cover it, but I'm just saying <laughs> it, it looks good. It sounds good, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So let's dive in to this week's Nitro. Uh, we begin basically almost well when the show started. I pressed play on the network, and I, I watched a minute or two, and I had to stop and press rewind to make sure that I hadn't. You know, when you you come in and you get the continue watching option. Yeah. I thought maybe I've seen a bit of this before and the network has saved my place for me and I've come in halfway through the show. I had to go and check that I was actually watching from the beginning because we, we the show goes on air with the outsiders um, walking around the outside of the ring giving Shivani and uh, Larry Zabisco some abuse 
and in the ring is just carnage. There's just bodies led everywhere because they've all been flattened and took out by the outsiders. It was quite the unusual, a bit yeah, dramatic and chaotic start, Danny, wasn't it? Oh, it really was, mate. And I was the same as you. I've walked into the living room and was thinking, oh, has this happened before? What's happened before here? But yeah, you're completely right. I love this because they really are, WCW really are showing different ways of how to start a wrestling show, how to end a wrestling show. It's not in a typical way. And I really, you have to give them massive props for that. I think this is a really, really clever marketing ploy ratings ploy however you want to word it um by wcw by eric bischoff by whoever was responsible the previous night we had as i mentioned survivor series uh, from the wwf they've just crowned a new world champion that could potentially peak interest that could potentially have people go oh do you know what new champion on that channel let's tune in and see what's going on because that, that, that happens, doesn't it? Let's be honest, yeah? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Curiosity. But not, yeah, exactly, mate, exactly. But Nitro went on air a few minutes early this week. So it went on air before Raw did, and that was an intentional ploy by Bischoff to stop people, you know, people who they may have the channel that shows Nitro on, and then flick across to Raw thinking, oh, I'll check out the start of Raw because we've got a new champion, he's bound to open the show and whatever. By going on air a couple of minutes early, those people wouldn't have turned over, or people might have been flicking through the channels, and they might have come across Nitro and all this carnage and chaos and mayhem, and stopped, rather than carrying on through the channels to get to Raw. I think it's a really clever little little ploy by... I, Again, I believe it was Bischoff, but whoever was responsible for that that idea, very yeah. smart, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's all about the visuals, isn't it? It's like, I mean, you see in everyday television, it's how you start off a show to hook the viewers in, and mm. you're completely right. That just excellent visual. I mean, it didn't matter who was in the ring. It doesn't matter if it was um, a high voltage in the ring it was about the fact that there was chaos there was screaming fans there was weapons in the ring and there was two guys just towering over everyone just had caused all the mayhem but we didn't see anything and that was very interesting as well because they all say in like horror films like it's what you don't see that sticks in your brain Yes, exactly. Uh, and again, we had the, the commentary team of Tony Schwann and Larry Zabisco saying, are we on air? Are we, are we live? Are we on air? What's going on? They didn't know. Uh, obviously, normally you get the intro, the pyro, and welcome to Nitro and all that sort of stuff. But So they, they, they're every, they've got every right to ask, are we on air, are we? You know, it's... it's it may, and again, it comes back to that, that aspect of it feeling real. You know, if... if yeah. It, you see it so much now with WWE programming... The show goes on air. You get your your your, your intro, your pyro, your your music, whatever it may well be. Shots of the crowd. Welcome to I don't know Madison Square Garden and Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or whatever you know. Then somebody's music hits. They walk out. Then they're jumped by somebody else, and and that you know, it's very um, polished, very overproduced. Yeah, and you can you, you know you know what you're going to get. I suppose this this. Uh, adds that extra level of realism to it, I think, because you've missed what's happened. And they're openly stating we've come on out early because of this carnage. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, nine o'clock or whatever time it may well be, I'm going to put Monday Night Raw on, and the wrestlers are all just milling around, waiting for the show to start, for some to, to then go on and do their stuff. 
something has happened here before they've even gone live. And yeah. it just adds that, that edginess to it, that anything can happen at any time. And it makes you not want to miss any moment of this. And it's the same as when Luger turned up on the first Nitro, Hall and Nash yeah. turned up, Medusa turned up. All, all, all the stuff that we've discussed over the last, what is it now, 80 episodes of Nitro Nights or whatever it may well be. All the stuff that makes WCW seem must, must see, must watch. You can't turn over in case you miss something. It's another little twist to that, isn't it? It's another little um, yeah. added uh, added little touch by Bischoff and WCW to say, look, you need to be here at 9 o'clock or whenever the time may be, 8 o'clock, whatever, for when we go live, because anything can happen right off the bat. Whereas I guarantee yeah. this particular episode of Monday Night Raw, if we brought it up on the network and put it on, I guarantee you that episode of Raw started with the intro. It started on time. It cut to the commentary team introducing the show and then went on with what they were going to do. Like it does pretty much every other week. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very, very clever. Yeah. Very well said, mate. Um, the outsiders are, are running their mouth and calling out the bases of beer. And I mean, Tony Schiavone also is not happy whatsoever with this when the outsiders are, are surrounding him. And he's saying, are you going to deal with this? Are you going to step in to Larry Zabisco? Zabisco, to be fair, has been running his mouth about the new world odor, as he calls them, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then when he's uh, uh, in the past, he had a bit, a bit of a verbal altercation with Scott Hall, didn't he, on a previous episode? Yeah. Here, yeah. he's got no interest in this. He's got no need to get involved at all. He doesn't want to get involved at all, does he? No, no. And th- I mean, look at last week where um, it was kind of like uh, Hall and Nash were laughing and just mocking um, Larry Sabisco for his uh, show and stuff. There was no comedy here. And even Kevin Nash says it. He says, I can be funny or I can be deadly. Um, very, very cool open. Mm, yeah. Um, the outsiders go backstage where they are attacked by the faces of fear. There's a big brawl and they spill out of the, um, the fire exits and so on. Uh, and that's kind of the end of the outsiders and the faces of fear for now. We get a replay of the attack. Well, we go to an ad break, we come back and we get a replay of the attack that we wouldn't have seen live on this particular episode of Nitro because it happened before they went on air, obviously. And we go back to the commentary team and Tony Schiavone is still pretty pissed off. And he's talking to Larry and saying, why didn't you step in? You've been running your mouth about these guys for weeks. I've not said anything. And yet here you are. He said, I've got five kids. I've got um, a good job. I've got my health to look because he not long had surgery. And I've got a seven foot wrestler. He goes, I'm not a wrestler. You used to be a wrestler. Why didn't you step in? Why didn't you step in front of me? And he's got a point here, Shivani. He said, why didn't you stick out for me? You're supposed to be my colleague. You're supposed to be my friend. Why didn't you step in and help me out here when Nash was in my face? Mm. Zabisco kind of shrugs and says, well, it weren't my fight. I didn't want to get involved and all that sort of nonsense. Tony Shivani just walks off. He's gone. I could not believe this. I was on the edge of my seat. Um, this is so not the norm in wrestling like the lead guy is supposed to be there all the time i thought he was going to come back i did not think he was going to go for the whole night i thought he was going to have a bit of a wobble um and then come back and then be like oh yeah we apologize just like you'd see on like a raw episode or something this felt incredibly real didn't it Mm. yes it did it felt it felt awkward it felt awkward Mm. with how zabisco was kind of squirming a little bit for not having the bollocks to do something 
and his <laughs> his his colleague is calling him out on it. Yeah, it felt awkward to be sat there watching, as well as the sort of realism added to to the whole scenario as well. And I think it's kind of ironic when you look at how how produced and polished the WWE television program is. I mean, in '96, it wasn't what it is now, obviously. But again, it still ran to a, a certain schedule, a certain format, a certain structure of doing things. And it's called Raw. Whereas you watch this opening 10 minutes of Nitro, this feels raw. This feels edgy. This feels based in reality. And yeah. that, I, I think, is a huge difference between the two products at the moment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. Our opening contest is somebody we've not seen before, and that's La Parker. And he is taking on Hoovertude Guerrera. Uh, Larry Zabisco is on commentary for on his own for a little while before Mike Tanay comes out and thankfully saves us because Zabisco is terrible. And um, <laughs> <laughs> he literally at one point states, I don't know what's going on. It's brilliant, wasn't yeah. it, Larry? <laughs> <laughs> He's, I think that was excellent as well because um, it showed how much you needed Tony Schiavone there as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Um, th- this is a good enough match. For me, it's a decent enough opener. For, well, opener as in wrestling aspect, because our opener, our opening segment was something else, of course. I mean, it is what you'd expect from these two guys. We get uh, some suicide dives to the outside. I mean, one in particular sends um, Hoover to Guerrero into the crowd barrier with quite a nasty bump. Uh, we get plenty of Frankensteiners and flying head scissors and drop kicks and so on. Springboard moonsaults and all sorts of stuff. Um, it, if anything, it felt like it went a little long for me, mm. and it felt a little bit like certain moments. La Parker and Huvi Guerrera kind of lost their way. Yeah, I, I could see that, mate. But I don't think they lost their way as much as Larry Sabisco when he kept referring to Juventud Guerrera as. Hooven to Guerrero about 16 times in this <laughs> yeah, that's right that's right yeah oh dear um, La Parker gets crotched on the top rope at one point and we get a springboard Frankensteiner by Hooven to Guerrero which was absolutely incredible um, we then get a springboard moonsault by Guerrero but he's dropping far too short to actually hit the move and La Parker has to kind of catch him in midair and help him over with it. And I, I'm, it's quite good to see that that happen. I mean, it's not good to see it in a way that it, it you know, took me out the moment a little bit, but yeah. it's interesting to see that happen as, as the Parker kind of stopped to the, you know, breaking his own fucking neck, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Le Parker at one point goes off the top rope to the outside. That was pretty spectacular. We get a surfboard as well at one point. And then we get the commentators talking about the rumour that Roddy Piper will be here tonight. But it's just a rumour. Nothing is confirmed as yet. Uh, La Parker misses a swanton. Uh, there's a tornado DDT by Guerrera, which was a three count, I think. Somebody messed up a little bit there. The, co- the shoulder came up, but barely and very late. Before Huvatu Guerrero misses a top rope Frankensteiner, La Parker then wins with a kind of corkscrew flippy splash thing. <laughs> uh, uh, Larry Zavisco called it a, a corkscrew thingy. A corkscrew thingy. There you go. From yeah. now on, that is what his finishing move will be referred to <laughs> as. Uh, did you enjoy this? 
Yeah, I found it was a, a decent little opener. It was something like you've had all this action, get to a, rest, a little bit of wrestling. But as you said, it did go on a bit too long, but it was still quite impressive, especially for La Parker's debut as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, staying with the Cruiserweight division, we have a video package promoting Ultimo Dragon, and we're told that he took part in a tournament in Japan where they unified all of their junior heavyweight, cruiserweight, light heavyweight title belts, and that's why he is draped in gold left, right, and center. And he is next up on, on the show, and he is taking on our cruiserweight champion, Dean Malenko. Ultimo Dragon walking out with Sonny Ono, carrying eight title belts, just yeah. looks incredible, doesn't he? It really does, mate. I really like his style of mask and his ring attire. Um, yeah, it, I'm so happy that he's here in WCW at this time. Mm. And Dimalenko, obviously with, with Ultimo Dragon, you've got the long cape, you've got the mask, you've got all the title belts and the lights and Sonny Ono chops in away in the corner and all this sort of stuff. Dimalenko makes his entrance, black waistcoat, black trunks, belt on, stone face, walks to the ring, and it made, it made Dimalenko look even more legit i think with yeah. by contrast you know in, in comparison to ultimo dragon yeah well said mate it was like complete opposites here mm. uh, the match is um interrupted at one point by a picture in picture effect that we get sometimes on wcw television as ray mysterio cut a promo talking about uh, the cruiserweight division and the title and all the usual sort of stuff very generic kind of promos these uh picture in picture efforts that we get um lots of kicks by the ultimo dragon uh some full nelson counters uh, back and forth go behinds in, in one of them into a roll-up for example uh, ultimo dragon then hits a suplex with a neck bridge on the outside we fight for a while malenko goes into the crowd barrier uh ultimo dragon misses a moonsault which then leads to Malenko applying his Texas Cloverleaf finisher before Sonny Ono jumps on the apron, takes a pretty nasty bump as Dean Malenko jumps up and shoves him. Ultimo Dragon then runs at Dean Malenko. He backdrops Ultimo Dragon over the top rope for another nasty-looking bump to end the match via DQ, because obviously in WCW, that is not allowed. Um, how did you find this one, Danny? A bit weird, because... I honestly thought what I've, we've complained. Well, I've complained about this in the past. Over the top DQs, I just can't. I just can't get over it. So I can't get used to it. Um, we haven't seen one in quite a few months on Nitro Nights. But mm -hmm. the thing that really stood out to me in this match was when Malenko hit um, Sonny Ono. The crowd exploded, didn't they? Oh, they hate him, don't they? They yeah. hate him. <laughs> <laughs> The over-the-top rope DQ thing, I've not got a problem with it. Yeah. And I I don't know if it's because it's kind of what I'm used to. Because mm. it's always been the way. WCW, NWA, whatever. For a great deal of it, it was always, that was the rule. If you throw somebody over the top, if it's, if it's momentum from a move or anything like that, it's a bit different. But if you literally throw someone over the top rope like that, it's DQ. It's always been the way as long as I could remember as a kid. So I, I'm used to it. I wonder yeah. if it bothers you because you grew up a WWE guy. Yeah. It is, even though that we're watching wrestling that is what, 27 years old, I think. Yeah. It's new to you. So it's, it's a new, it's a change, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think that is a very good point, mate, because I'm just not used to it. I mean, uh, like, to me, if something like this has to happen, I think it, well, WSW, you do have to give them credit because they are not doing it every week. But mm-hmm. I'm just, I just like, oh, come on, guys. Can't you just let that one go? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a way, we we get a lot of, um, I suppose the the, the the Turner phrase is the dusty finish, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Fake title changes that are then brought back for DQs. A lot of them were using this over-the-top rope DQ uh, method, I suppose. Yeah. So it's a clever thing to bring in or to have there to enable you to use it as, as a story tool, I guess, as a, as a story writing um, tool aspect to be able to get out of certain situations. And I feel here, you've got Ultimo Dragon, who you don't want to beat, and also you probably can't beat on television at this point in time because New Japan and whoever else he works for will be pissed off. <laughs> and you've got your Cruiserweight champion, who you can't have beaten so i mean first of all you don't need to put this match on on i'm glad they did because i enjoyed it but you don't need to put this match on television you kind of booked yourself into a bit of a corner because ultimo dragon you know in theory can't get defeated dimalenko in theory can't get defeated so having that kind of dq over the top rope finish gets them out of the corner that they've backed themselves into potentially no no, now you've put it like that, I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not a massive fan of it, but again, it's just what you're used to, isn't it? It's, uh, I mean, yeah. a perfect example. That I, I was quite late to New Japan. I'd watch the odd match on cassette tape, and or all Japan I used to get a lot more cassette tapes of and so on back when I was a kid, but watching New Japan with um, Jericho Omega kind of hooked me and my family in. My little girl got obsessed with the Young Bucks and, and um, Kenny Omega and all that sort of stuff. And Evil, oddly. She thought Evil was fantastic. I don't know what that's all about, but the first time I watched a New Japan match, um, or or recently watched a New Japan match in this era that I've sort of got back into it, I was sat watching the, the, the match go on, then they've gone outside the ring, and then they've gone past that extra step outside the ring, and they're almost fighting in the crowd at one point. Yeah. And you can hear the ring announcer counting along with the referee for for the, you know, for the count out because they're out of the ring and um, it gets to eight then it gets to nine and i'm thinking they're still bloody 20 yards away <laughs> so this is going to end in a double count out this is crap and he goes 10 and i'm expecting the bell and then he goes 11 and i was like what <laughs> 12 13 and i'm like what do they fucking count to here this is because i had no idea so for me it was completely alien at that and of course it's a 20 count in japan isn't it but it's yeah. uh that completely threw me and i'm still to this day it was in like five years on whatever it may well be i'm still to this day if i watch a bit of the g1 that's going on and so on i still struggle with it being a 20 count now because i've grown up my whole life with it being a 10 count yeah yeah i'll get you mate yeah, just what you grow up with, I suppose, Bird. What yeah. you grow up with. <laughs> uh, um, something that I'm very glad I didn't grow up watching too much of is the amazing French Canadians. And they're taking on another team. I'm quite glad that I didn't grow up watching too much of the American males. We have lots of flag waving and shouting and tans and greased back hair and silly tattoos and all sorts. We get a 
uh, an attempt at singing the Canadian national anthem by the um, amazing French Canadians, which gets cut short for the American males to come out and to their uh, cheesy entrance theme. We get told that the amazing French Canadians are going to be taking on Harlem Heat at World War Three on the weekend that follows this show. And if Harlem Heat win, then Sister Sherry gets five minutes in the ring with Colonel Parker. My God, I hope that happens. I cannot wait to see that. Yes. <laughs> uh, Bagwell here looks good, I think. He's throwing some great drop kicks and so on. He starts the match well. Um, Jack Rougeau comes in with Scotty Riggs at one point and does a couple of uh, the, the nip-ups like Shawn Michaels used to do and then challenges Riggs to do something similar. And then when Riggs sort of turns away a touch, just kicks him in the stomach. I thought that was really clever. <laughs> that was. That really was. I mean, this is a... a you can call this a patriotism match, easy for me to say. Um, but, like, you could 100% see that the crowd were all behind the American males. And if it took this to do... To put, like... A, anti-american team against the american teams to get these guys cheers then well done to them well yeah i guess i mean it's quite simple booking isn't it you know you've got the i suppose an old trope in wrestling as well isn't it you you go back to the 50s um and well well, in in texas for example the von erics their dad the reason their name von eric is what it is is because their dad fritz von eric played a German character because we were not long out, out of World War II. So he was yeah. the evil heel there. And then you get into the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. and you, it, dep- it depends who America is cross with at the time is who people are going to portray themselves as the heel being. Um, but also, you get the odd weird ones like Ludwig Borger. I don't remember uh, the United States ever going to war with Finland. I'm not sure what that if that ever happened, but that still garnered the same USA USA chance for our buddy Lex uh, yeah. back in '93. I want to say, yeah. But here, uh, two guys waving flags. I don't think it matters where they're from, Canada or not. Two guys from a different country waving flags and trying to sing their anthem. That's heat straight away. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Um, We get a moment that was a bit odd here. Bagwell gets in the ring as Riggs is trying to leapfrog one of the Canadians and they collide. I don't quite know why Bagwell was in the ring. At first, I thought he'd he'd made a blind tag. And that's why he was getting in. Yeah. But then the referee pushed him back out. So he can't have been the legal man. Yeah. I thought that this was just a a missed... um misstep in a tag team match but it could also be because we know we're heading for the end of this tag team it could also be a story um plot oh yeah 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 it, it's 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 the, the signs are there aren't they and this is one of yeah. them i guess um there's a moment here where the american uh, the amazing sorry french canadians not the american french canadians that's completely <laughs> different the amazing french canadians they do a spot where Jack Rougeau picks up um, PCO and body slams him on an opponent. Riggs hasn't got the memo about this and takes the bump and sits up. So, you know, at this point, Jacques has already picked up his partner and is looking a bit silly because he's just kind of holding his partner in the air. And <laughs> I'm watching thinking, <laughs> what's going to happen here? I, I, thought, I thought, is he going to try and shout to him? Is it, Are we going to see some um, spot calling quite clearly or hear some spot calling here on, on the... Uh, 
on the show. No, he just throws his 300 pound mate straight on the back of Riggs's neck. And I was like, holy shit, what is he doing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that did look painful. <laughs> it was not a good look at all, was it? Um, eventually we get a hot tag to Bagwell he's fired up but the crowd are into Bagwell here they're behind him Uh, he is hitting clotheslines and drop kicks left right and centre before Scotty Riggs gets back in the ring and he knees Jacques Rougeau in the back as Bagwell is readying himself for a clothesline he flies towards Bagwell they collide they bang heads basically they collide in the middle of the ring and Bagwell falls down and is pinned from this which then leads to the American males arguing some more. So you, you can see the signs are there, Danny, can't you? Absolutely, mate. And it's just, um, it's going to see, because we know that the fans are more into Bagwell than there are rigs. So it'll be very interesting to see how they go with this. Yes, indeed. I mean, I, I, I kind of know where, but it's, um, it's interesting to hear your viewpoints as well, watching along with this. And also, I, I remember uh, Bagwell when he was Marcus Alexander Bagwell in the early 90s, from seeing him on WCW Worldwide on, on ITV television on a Saturday afternoon when I was a kid. And he won WCW's Rookie of the Year for what seemed like every year for most of my childhood. And I remember him throwing a good drop kick and the girls loving him. Yeah. But apart from that, I just think he was incredibly bland. Mm. Incredibly bland. Um, yeah. now, we all know what happens with regards to Buff Bagwell and the character he becomes. So it's good to see that there's an improvement in there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, there's, it's how they grow as characters and how the booking um, dictates that as well. Yes, indeed. Um, we get a little bit more talk of whether Piper is going to be there or not. It's a rumor. Nobody's seen him, but the rumor still exists. Blah, 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 blah. Um, Hollywood Hogan is in the building, though, we are told. And Larry Zabisco, is, in the same way that Larry Zabisco started calling the NWO the New World Odor, and he obviously found himself fucking hysterical because he kept saying it every 30 <laughs> seconds for the first two episodes he did that for. Do you remember? Yes. Yeah. Here, he's decided he's going to start calling Hollywood Hogan Edward and he thinks he is the funniest guy on the planet at this point, Larry Zabisco. So he, if somebody else refers to him as Hollywood Hogan, he corrects them. He corrects Mike Tenay several times. Oh, no, it's Edward. <laughs> so, all right, all right, Larry, have a day off, mate. You know, it's yeah. it's a bit much, isn't it? Oh, it is, mate. I mean, I've written that down as well. I said, I'm already tired of Larry Zabisco's Edward joke. First mm. off, I don't know who the hell Edward is. <laughs> um, Do you? Edward... I may be getting this completely wrong. So if I am, somebody on the old Twitter machines, uh, drop us a message and let me know, at Nitro underscore Nights. But Ed Wood was a director who, we're going back quite a way, um, several decades and so on, who was a, he was a Hollywood director who obsessed over his work, but most of his films won awards for being shite. <laughs> and he he won like worst director awards and stuff like that i'm not sure if awards is the right term but you know what i'm getting at yeah so it's a it's a hollywood reference for somebody who hasn't got a particularly great reputation 
is the way I take it. And again, I may be completely misunderstanding that. I think they made a film about the guy's life or career. Um, I'll tell you what, it might have been around this time, 96, 97, something like that. Let me just have a quick look. It might have been around that time. Um, But they made a film about this guy's career. Yeah, because um, I'm just looking up here. He died in 1978. So leave it to Larry to bring up and uh, kind of just like, crap all over this guy's name <laughs> ah here we go here we go so I, i'm looking it up online now so we can uh, you you can ignore all of my ramblings and you'll get something a little bit more accurate now um edward d wood jr in the 1950s wood directed several low budget science fiction crime and horror films that later became cult classics uh because they were shot effectively um <laughs> uh, and ed wood is a 1994 American biographical comedy drama dedicated to his life. So uh-huh. yeah, there you go. So a, a couple of years previous to this, I imagine what happened is that Zabisco was sat in his hotel room the night before Nitro and um, was flicking through the channels and he just happened to catch that film that had been out for a couple of years. And I thought, <laughs> using that tomorrow night on telly, that's a great shape. I imagine yeah. that's what's happened. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. There we go. Um, up next is uh, I'm not. I, I cringe now. I'm at a point where I, I, it sends a shudder down my spine when I hear the um, Dungeon of Doom's music because mm. you never know what's going to walk through that curtain. You yeah. know, it can sometimes it can be somebody who I don't mind watching, like the Faces of Fear, for example. Uh, sometimes it can be a bit of a surprise, like later on on this episode of Nitro. Big Bubba comes out. We're expecting that. And then other occasions, it's the reason I shudder. It's Hugh Morris. And here (laughs) he comes. But thankfully, he is taking on show favourite, Mr. Lex Luger, who is so super over at this point in his career, Danny, isn't he? He really is, mate. And he's going all the way back to just before Sting... um, well basically walked out of the company um it's going back to that level of uh, that level of overness and um yeah i think somebody like hugh morris is perfect for lex Luger to run over as well because morris i mean um i'll just go (laughs) hugh morris um he is somebody that we cringe when we see him but there's no denying that he is a really good wrestler in the ring oh yeah yeah I, i just don't like the gimmick yeah, I yeah. don't like the. Again, it, it comes back to realism, and it sounds so silly when I'm talking about pro wrestling. It really does. But what makes WCW this era of WCW good for me? The good stuff in WCW at the moment is like what we spoke about with, with the opening of the show. Yeah. It's it felt real. Hugh Morris has got this silly kind of comic book bad guy character like like he's he's a villain from an old batman tv show or something yeah where he's laughing and giggling to himself looking all manic and crazy and then changes back to the stone cold faced and he's like oh i'm gonna get you and all that are we supposed to believe that's who this guy is yeah because <laughs> to me it's to me it's twofold it's it, it's it, is this guy playing a character in which case it then makes it seem well i, I hate the word but fake yeah or are we supposed to believe this is not a character? Because, you know, obviously WCW is supposed to be more reality-based in comparison to the WWE. That's something that Eric Bischoff cites in pretty much every interview he ever does. He's desperate to make it feel more real. So hence the NWO stuff feeling you know, very good and based in reality. 
So are we supposed to believe this is how Hugh Morris is? You know, he, he nips down to Asda to buy some cheese and a bit of milk or whatever. And and the, the staff and customers are running away from him because he's just in the corner by the dairy products going, <laughs> you know, is, is that is that what happens? It, I, I just don't, I just think it's silly. I just don't get yeah. it. And again, not all wrestling is meant for me. I may show that character to my daughter, who's 13, and she may be completely on board with it. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's just me. No, I'll tell you something. We're going to have to get pig splatters to uh, do Hugh Morris in Asda buying cheese and milk now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Luger gets all the pyro, doesn't he? Yeah. He gets a big explosion of pyro when he flexes, another explosion of pyro when he flexes again. Then he walks down to the ring high-fiving the kids and... He doesn't look like he's going through the motions, which he did sometimes in his WWF run. Luger looks like he's genuinely happy that these kids are excited to see him. Then he gets in the ring, and I think this is new. I might be wrong, Danny. Tell me if I am wrong. But he gets in the ring and does another big bicep pose, and we get the cane pyro coming off the corners. I believe that was done at Halloween Havoc because I have it on my nose. I be- yeah, I think that might have debuted not long. Definitely not okay. long. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hugh Morris, we said about the gimmick being daft. I'm not a fan of it. But the guy can work. He's bumping yeah. all over the place. And he he makes Luger look fantastic here. Even off just clotheslines, punches. So there's one particular, um, I, I don't know how to word it, like a flying elbow, but a flying back elbow that he sort of hits this elbow while spinning in the air, Luger. And Morris takes it in the face and just bumps incredibly for him. It looks fantastic. Um, Morris hits a vertical suplex on Luger. He doesn't sell it. He just gets up and looks at him. I'm not a fan of that sort of thing normally. But when done at the right time for the right move, for example, no selling a vertical suplex Mm. early in the match and you're Lex Luger, this, this superhero... I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah. Providing it's not all the time. When you see the likes of Hawk from the Legion of Doom or Hulk Hogan, whatever, no selling a pile driver. That's what I dislike. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it can be a bit awkward at times. Yeah. I'm, probably, I'm contradicting myself a little bit there, maybe, but that's just, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> um, Luger does hit a big suplex of his own. Uh, and the, the crowd are just loving everything Luger does, aren't they? And there was one moment in this match that I really thought of you. And that was when Luger he hits this big suplex. He's on his knees and he signals for the rack. Yeah. yeah and the crowd go crazy. He hasn't even picked the guy up yet. But the crowd no. go crazy because he's signaling for this move. And I thought, Danny's going to love that. <laughs> I absolutely did, mate. And it's very much like the diamond cutter at the minute. As soon as DDP signals for it, it's like, wow. And especially later on in a couple of years. Um, there was an interesting point here, though, that I wanted to ask you about. Okay. So um, this has, well, rarely been done. I don't remember any time a wrestling show doing this. Is that WCW are actually plugging the house show matches um that and two of well they plug two massive house show matches and we and the sad thing is we don't ever get to see them um do you think this is a good idea because uh you yes you're plugging it to the uh, people that will see that will buy tickets and it's going to push the house show attendance but 
the fact that we can't find these, and I've looked everywhere online, the matches in question are Lex Luger versus Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan. We can't find them anywhere. Do you think this is a good idea for of WCW? They were plugging house matches, were they? I must have missed that. Yeah, um, this this will be shown. I mean, this will be happening the night before WCW, the pay per view, World War Three. This is going to be on Saturday night. But not um, not that Saturday night. This is going to be on a house show. I did look up the results and I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I must have missed. I, I might have been making a note or I don't know. I, I missed something there. Um, yeah. For me, and again, I'm far from an expert, but you've asked my thoughts. So for me, it depends on your business model as to what you're doing. Yeah. And WCW is a really good example of that. Be- I mean, again, you go to listen to any interview Bischoff's uh, ever given about taking over WCW and getting to the position he was in. WCW never made a profit until, what was it, 95, whatever, with Hogan and so on. Yeah. Uh, it, never, it never made a profit. And Bischoff tells the story of the the house shows were, were hemorrhaging cash. They were leaking money. And a lot of it came from the fact that they would give away three tickets. So you, you, you educate your audience to, you know, again, because you don't want to run a show with no, no crowd. So they give away three tickets. So you educate yeah. your audience that, oh, if we wait long enough, we'll get a three ticket rather than having to pay for it and all this sort of stuff. Uh, but the talent still needs paying. The building still needs paying for, obviously. And all this sort of so, so the house show market for WCW in the early 90s was just running them into the ground. When Bischoff came to power... He had a conversation with the people who were in charge of the house shows and the, and booking the the tour circuit, I suppose, for want of a better phrase. And their mindset was because they were very old school wrestling. Um, again, mindset, I suppose, very old school wrestling thought process. House shows are important. That's where you make your money, and because you you can run seven nights a week, and you're only on TV once, of course, but you can run seven nights a week and still make money. And their mindset was. We're losing money doing X amount of house shows. We should go out and do more. And Bischoff was like, well, that's insane. Because if you're losing money doing, I don't know, four shows a week, why do you want to do seven shows a week and lose nearly half again? Yeah. It makes no sense. So he literally just stopped running house shows to try and stop them hemorrhaging cash. Eventually, the house show circuit for WCW came back. And and this is obviously around the time they're doing that, for from what you tell me that I missed on the commentary. Now, if if your company is hot and you're making money from the TV, from the house shows, etc., I think pushing the house shows on television is a brilliant idea. Because you're trying to sell tickets. And the biggest and best advert you have for your product is your television programme. Yeah. So that's why you see adverts all the time on pay-per-views now, plugging. Um, you watch you watch a WWE paper. What is it? it's SummerSlam coming up in a week yeah. or two, isn't it? Right. You yeah. watch SummerSlam. Yeah. I guarantee you, when you watch when you watch the SummerSlam pay-per-view, you will have God knows how many adverts for the merchandise store. Yeah. You'll have loads of adverts for um, this documentary coming up on the WWE Network, or um, you can watch NXT this night on the WWE Network, because they know people are watching SummerSlam, and that is the perfect time for them to advertise their own product. So by plugging the house shows on Nitro, to me, it's a no-brainer. If they're running house shows and they're trying to sell tickets, why not you? Because it's free advertising. 
it's not like having yeah. to take out an advert in a magazine or um, you you see adverts dotted around on bus stops and that in in, in this country and um, or, or you're not buying television time for an advert on I don't know uh, a Tuesday evening during the middle of 24 or prison break or whatever it's free advertising yeah. you're already on the air yeah so you can plug your own show plug your own house shows and, and again it comes back to that thing of having title changes on house shows we had a conversation about that a couple of weeks back I think Danny yeah and it, yeah. again it's it's that thing of trying to educate your audience to pay for the ticket to go and enjoy the show. And then also having that thing of don't just buy tickets for the TV tapings. Look two months ago, the, uh, the U S title changed hands on a house show. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So it's all about making money and building up your product. I feel. No, I totally get you, mate. It's probably me just having sour grapes that we don't get to see these two fantastic <laughs> matches. <laughs> oh man. Um, Obviously, it didn't always work out for W. We'll get into this more in future weeks, months, and years. But the house show circuit at times hindered WCW as well because mm. you had the guaranteed money contracts, which obviously were a great thing in some aspects. But on the other side of the coin, it meant that they were working. I mean, we'll take Hogan Hall and Nash, for example. They were earning big money for a set number of dates per year. They didn't have to wrestle any house shows. So people would buy their tickets and these guys wouldn't be there. Yeah. So that was all, that was a hindrance at times as well. And, you know, when Thunder starts up, it also causes a bit of an issue with that as well. But yeah, I mean, that, that's conversations for a, a future time, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, mean Gene gets in the ring to have a little chat with our buddy Lex and Sting arrives. And I, honestly, I sat forward in my seat at this point. I was like, oh, what's going to happen here? And Sting's yeah. carrying a ball bat, as it's referred to on this television program. And he pokes Lex in the chest with it and then gives it to Luger and just walks off. Mm-hmm. And it's like that thing of, okay, is he, is he turning his back on Luger and saying, hit me? Is he testing Luger's loyalty to see where Luger stands? It, it's intriguing. And I think it's good because we don't get any answers. I mean, first of all, what did you think of this match itself, Danny? I, I, I didn't ask you your thoughts on the Luger match. And then secondly, the whole aspect with, with Luger's interview and then Sting arriving. What did you think? I loved it, mate. I mean, the match itself was there um, just as a dev- device to get Lex Luger out and to get that pop and things like that. So, And we said about um, Hugh Morris is definitely more than capable of holding his own. But the show stealer for me was definitely... Um, Sting coming down, poking Luger in the chest, and then just saying a million words without even opening his mouth. I mean, that was very interesting. And then I also liked Lex Luger's, um, just before Sting came down, Lex Luger's just his um, determination to win the World War Three um, this Sunday. So, mm. yeah, he's very, very fired up. Um, loved everything. But then this segment left me speechless, about as speechless as Lex Luger. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's intriguing, isn't it? I think yeah. so much of what WCW are doing with Sting and, and the, the mystique around the character, where does he lie? And hearing Bobby Heenan, very soon we hear Heenan, actually, because the countdown for hour two begins in a moment. Hearing Bobby Heenan talking about he's carrying a baseball bat like the NWO. He's wearing black and white like the NWO. We know which side he's on. And then other people going, oh, no, I know Sting. He wouldn't do that. Nobody knows at this point. 
And can you imagine watching this in 96 without, we obviously have you know, hindsight, we know what goes on and so on. But can you imagine watching the weekly television in 1996 and seeing this guy who was your, you know, as a young wrestling fan, a young WCW fan, most likely was your hero growing up. Yeah. Now in this completely different gimmick, not talking, all the bright colors are gone and you don't know where he stands. You don't know when he's going to show up. You know, I, I think they, they're handling this so well. They really are, mate. And it just goes back to about three weeks ago, um, you were saying uh, because of like revisionist history and things like that, you think Sting just cuts that promo where he says it's a free agent, appears once to say, oh, um, the only thing sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. And then that's it. But in mm. fact, we're getting all these little, I mean, we didn't know that he attacked Jeff Jarrett or he had an agenda against Jeff Jarrett. And we certainly didn't know about this um, storyline, this slow burn storyline with Lex Luger. So this is just fantastic stuff. Oh, and you think with Luger as well, the Sting Luger stuff, it goes back so many years. Yeah. So many years. Back in the Crockett days, these two were were buddies and in and out of the horsemen together and all that. So not, not at the same time, but they both shared a similar join the horseman, horseman turns on them kind of story and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and obviously they're you know very close friends in real life. They got businesses together at this point and gyms around the US and, and so on. But you go back to even just our project here, Nitro Nights, looking from the first Nitro onwards. From when Luger turns up on that very first mm-hmm. Nitro, Sting is there, and the interactions with him and Sting, and then that the the tag team between the tag team title run they had before the NWO arrived that we never really got a conclusion to, teasing who's going to turn and is Luger really is Luger really on side with Sting and just between Luger and Sting in the last what eighty episodes we've done, there's always yeah. been something going on, and I love that. Yeah. It's really good. And the highlight, I mean, there's loads of highlights, but the big highlight for me was that promo where Sting and Lex Luger were in the ring with Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. And um, they alluded to their history in the 80s and mm. early 90s and things like that. So, yeah, this story has been excellent. Yeah, it has indeed. It has indeed. Uh, what was not excellent, though, in any way, shape or form, was a little recap we get from Saturday night. We have Nick Patrick with Tony Schiavone and his attorney, whose name I keep forgetting, but it's not. Alan Sharp. Alan Sharp. Thank you, Danny. And they're talking about Nick Patrick being on the take from the NWO and he's a bad referee and all that usual nonsense. And then Jericho turns up and I'm thinking, okay, Jericho's here. He can save the segment. He doesn't really seem to know what's going on. Teddy Long then turns up and starts saying to Nick Patrick, every match this young man has had on Nitro, you've cost him. And I'm thinking, oh, I think it's only happened like once, <laughs> you know, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. And they try to bicker back and forth. The attorney gives some terrible pun like joke at Teddy Long. Teddy Long has an equally awful response. saying, I've looked into your past and it, it is your, uh, your legal firm. Is it called Cheetah and run or, or whatever he says? I can't remember exactly the exact lines, what the exact line was. And it's just, it's so bad to the yeah. point where everyone just kind of stops at one point and is looking at each other because they're waiting for somebody else to go. Somebody else to say something and they've just completely lost track of where they're going and what they're doing to the point where Tony Schiavone even says, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, cause he obviously feels what we're feeling and basically yeah. you get an open, a challenge thrown out via Teddy long 
and we're going to see Chris Jericho take on Nick Patrick at the pay-per-view with one arm tied behind his back. Now, this is quite surreal. And we've got a guy entering a wrestling match with a referee. The referee has been selling this neck injury for weeks and weeks on end. What do you feel about this going into the pay-per-view? Do you think this is a good use of Jericho? Do you think uh, do you think this helps the Nick Patrick storyline we have? How do you feel about this segment that we saw from Saturday night? And then how do you feel about this being set up for a match on the Sunday night pay-per-view show? I found I was just thankful that this was on Saturday night. It was on a pre-tape because when they tried to uh, have these guys on that Nitro, it was disastrous <laughs> from last week. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't mind Chris Jericho versus um, Nick Patrick because it's at least there's been effort put into this. That's one thing you can say. As as bad as um, Alan Sharp is and things like that, and we don't hope that he's at the pay per view certainly. But um, <laughs> perhaps you're right. I love a good stipulation, like a silly wrestling stipulation, like oh a blindfold match where uh, two people have like bags over their head and they ca- they can't really see, mm-hmm. or um, something like that. It's very camp, isn't it? Like. Um, oh, he's going to put one arm behind his um, back because he's a referee and not a wrestler. So I found it silly, but it's also quite fun as well. But yeah, um, I'm all for it, mate. What about you? Oh, it, it doesn't bother me. Uh, we got uh, the pay-per-views three hours long. Yeah. You, you could fit on, fit on a 10-minute gimmick match quite easily. It, sometimes it can really help the flow of a show because if you have yeah. a couple of matches that are incredibly important, incredibly intense or incredibly spectacular, having something like this in the middle of it punctuating it breaking it up can really help the show so yeah i'm intrigued to see what we get on on the next episode um but i'm just just wondering i thought that they were going with alan sharp and nick patrick versus teddy long and chris jericho at the pay-per-view <laughs> did you really why okay yeah, yeah. I, oh I mean they God. may still go that way but um I thought, oh, thank God that didn't happen because I don't want to see more Alan Sharp. <laughs> Alan Sharp and Nick Patrick. That'd be one of the worst tag teams of all time, wouldn't it? Let's be yes. honest. <laughs> I, I say that. We could be completely doing Alan Sharp and Miss Justice here. He could be the second coming of Ric Flair for all we know. We've not seen the guy wrestle. <laughs> I'm just assuming. It goes, <laughs> it goes back to... Um, who was that doctor? Um, there was a, a dodgy doctor that WWF used to use uh, to, for people to get steroids and stuff. Um, oh, I can't yeah. remember his name. He was in Pennsylvania. Um, and the fact that uh, they had him interviewed on uh, WWF Superstars, I think it was, and he cut the most amazing promo for never being trained in a wrestling uh, setting or anything like that. And it's like, wow, like no one knew he had this. So I think you're right. Yeah, um, Alan Sharp could have been uh, some something of a legend. Yeah, I I, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> up next, we see Chris Jericho wrestle. And he comes out to a dub of his WWF theme over the top yes. of whatever they're playing. And he's taking on the public enemy member, Johnny Grunge. Um, Nick Patrick is watching dressed all in black with earrings in and sunglasses and a black neck brace. And I thought you look fucking ridiculous. But at the same yeah. time, it was brilliantly ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> now that is a really weird one side because I know in the future, um, Chris Jericho's theme goes back to his original WCW, uh theme song in these nitros. Oh, does so it? Okay. I, 
yeah, why would the change just on a random week and then go back to, and plus I've always been against this because that Chris Jericho's theme does not fit this Chris Jericho. It's, it's a completely no. different character. Yeah, you're right. You are right on that front. Yeah. I've got no idea why it was done that way. I've got, I got yeah. no answers for you, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> but you're uh, right. Um, Nick Patrick's uh, neck brace, yeah. It, it was like, it was just spray painted on, wasn't it? <laughs> ah, wasn't it? And the earrings and everything. Oh, my yeah. word. Uh, um, <laughs> Jericho here is working very hard. He's flying about the place and doing everything he can to try and get a good match on the show here. Jolly grunge, to be fair. He does what he does. He's got a very limited move set. He's pretty bang average, but he does okay. Um, eventually, he brings in a chair and kind of half atomic drops, half places Jericho on the chair, and then he clotheslines him off the chair, and it just looked clunky and horrible. Um, then Johnny Grunge fetches a table. He ends up going through the table himself before Jericho hits a missile drop kick from the top rope and wins the match. Um, Jericho then has a promo with Teddy Long, on the on the ramp and the nwo come out it, it, it's it's all moving very quickly now i don't know if they're thinking we're running out of time or we know we've got something big at the end of the show so we need to get through things a little bit quicker here i'm not sure yeah. but jericho has a promo with, with teddy long talking about the pay-per-view and so on the nwo then arrive and confront eric bischoff at the commentary desk and he's being made to say things by Hogan. Oh, Hulk Hogan's the greatest wrestler ever, all that sort of stuff. Whilst this is going on, DDP comes out and talks to Mean Gene. The NWO then come and confront DDP. And it all just, I'm not going to lie. I'm not saying it was bad in any way, shape or form. It, it, it worked, whatever. But I can't remember much about anything because it all kind of blended into one for me. Yeah, yeah, I would say the same. Um, it was a bit fast moving. I don't know if they went over time and a couple of matches and was like, oh, let's just shove this all out there quickly because later on we've got something big happening. But yeah, it kind of just went there and there, didn't it? It did. It did indeed. Uh, um, our next match, we, we get Jeff Jarrett out and he is taking on Bobby Eaton. A real sort of southern wrestling feel to seeing these two guys square off. Um, the match is okay. Jeff Jarrett wins with a figure four. But then Ric Flair comes out. And they're strutting around. Flair's wearing a bloody awful jumper. Really terrible, <laughs> terrible piece of knitwear. And they're talking about how Flair endorses Jeff Jarrett. And he says, listen to the lead horseman. Jarrett is in. So I suppose that ends any discussions like whether Jarrett is really a horseman or not for now yeah. I guess Danny it, it really does mm. mate and I got a little kick out of um, Jeff Jarrett saying that Sting was a clown yeah and he's watching isn't he he's up there watching yeah. on again yeah yeah there's something Sting really hates Jeff Jarrett doesn't he <laughs> yes he does he's not a fan at all uh, <laughs> up next we hear that music that makes me shudder it's the Dungeon of Doom, but I pops Big Bubba, and I wasn't expecting that. We've not seen him for a little while. And Jim Paris is his opponent, and I've got my notes here, just so, you know, a little peek behind what we do. My notes here say, Big Bubba versus Jim Paris. Really? Why are we watching this? <laughs> I think, um, see, I'm going to c- contradict myself now. I think that they were also needing something to fill the time, but... Um, 
the biggest takeaway in this match was the fact that Eric Bischoff dismisses the rumours of Roddy Piper being here and mm-hmm. blatantly says, no, he's not here. It's all just rumours and gossip. Um, so he's trying to downplay them. Um, this match, yeah, it was kind of just there, but it was more Bubba just dominating, uh, doing a lot of punches. And then um, Powers just wins with a... Uh, sorry, Bubba nails... Uh, oh Christ, I've written Bubba Nell's Big Boss Man <laughs> slam. Oh, the Big Boss Man slam for the one, yes. two, three on Jim Powers. That's it, yeah. But uh, yeah, what was he calling it? Yeah. It's just a uh, side slam, isn't it? Is, yeah. that what, is that what he calls I don't know if that's what he calls it, but that's kind of what the move is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my biggest takeaway from this match is that the commentary team, and it, and it comes back to you know, make me care. As far as I'm concerned, you need to be selling me what's on my screen. Yeah. If, if I mean, our next match is Benoit versus Guerrero. Instantly, yeah. I'm sold because these are two guys who are fantastic. They do my type of wrestling what I re- that I really enjoy. I'm sold on this. I'm going to watch it. End of. This match, I'm not sold upon. I've got no interest in whatsoever. So to me, if I was watching uh, in America on this particular night, it, this particular Monday evening, I would flick over to Raw at this point. Yeah. To see what's going on. To me, the commentary team should be making me care. Yeah. But all they talk about is Sting, World War Three, and Piper. Yeah. They even when the decision happens, he hits the side slam, one, two, three, none of them actually, you know, say anything. None of them, you know, give any recognition to the fact the match is over because they're still talking about Piper. So yeah. if the commentary team don't care, why should we as viewers? Yeah. Well said, mate. And you're completely right about Big Brother. I mean, it has been a long time since we've seen him. And, um, yeah, he's just kind of there now, isn't he? I'll tell you what, actually, talking about a long time since we've seen someone, when I brought up the shitty new WWE up, um, update on my, my television earlier on, yeah. scanning through the thumbnails, getting down to this episode of Nitro to watch so we can be ready to review it today, you obviously see little screenshots of episodes that are that are previous, don't you? Because you get your, your, yeah. your thumbnails as you're scanning through. One popped up from uh, X number of weeks ago, and it was an image of Glacier. Yeah. And I thought to myself, where has he gone? <laughs> I completely forgot yeah. this guy existed. Yeah. Yeah, they've dropped the ball big time. All those weeks of te- of um, television time on those promos, he had, uh, I believe it was three amazing matches and then gone like everything. Uh, that is such a shame. Were they amazing matches, Danny? Or are you just a little bit biased because you like the blue lights? I am, and the snap? yes. <laughs> 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 no, uh, but it's it's just a, a shame um, because like he should still be around somewhere. Yes, indeed. Um, up next, we do get that Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero match, and I'm I'm not. I mean, I'll, I'll ask you to break down any moments you'd enjoyed, any any spots you want to discuss, or anything like that, Danny. But from my viewpoint, I'm I'm not going to talk about it at all because I like to think that people are watching Nitro along with us. I, I know lots of people who listen to Nitro Nights are. I know people who listen to Nitro Nights who are well in advance of where we are because they can't wait and keep pressing play, and certain people are uh, off into next year already, and so on. But if you don't watch the nitros along with us for the sake of the show. I would just like to say, go and seek this match out because this is a very, very good wrestling match. If you watch one wrestling match this week, 
make it Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero from this particular episode of Monday Nitro. Danny, what did you think of this match? Were there any spots in particular you want to touch upon? Other than Chris Benoit and um, Eddie Guerrero just absolutely pounding each other, um, they more than made up for that quite questionable match they had a couple of weeks ago when they were injured. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they yeah. were both, yeah, they're both carrying it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, and another scary Kev- Kevin Sullivan promo where he alludes to the fact that um, Chris Benoit can have woman, but without saying it. Um, mm. And uh, I believe Kevin Sullivan also mentioned about facing Chris Benoit uh, this Saturday. So more um, angry anger from me because I, we don't get to see that match at all. Um, I thought he was ref. Sorry, I thought he was referencing yeah. the pay per view. Oh, yeah, 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 he could actually be, yeah, because I had it uh, in last week's notes that um, they were hyping up a match at the pay-per-view, but it turns out they weren't at all. It was just... Okay. Uh, so, basically, this match has been hyped up for two weeks, and it's going to be a false count anyway match, um, similar to the I'm match I'm pretty that sure had. that's on the pay-per-view, isn't it? Um, no, it's not. Oh, is it not? No, no. This is what angers me. So I've looked Damn this it. up, and I'm just like... <laughs> Oh man, I was so let down by this. I was like, no. But um, yeah, hyping up more house show um, matches. Um, yeah, and Eddie Grow gets a nice Hurricanrana. Um, Chris Benoit counters it into a roll up, and Chris Benoit gets the sneaky win. Mm-hmm. And it was an excellent main event, to be honest with you. It was placed correctly right uh, in the last match of the main event before we get next uh, the next segment. Yeah, they were they were given plenty of time as well, weren't they? It didn't feel yeah. it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel dragged out to fill the time, uh, and everything they did, I thought, looked legit. It, it was it's right up my street, so I strongly recommend anybody who has not seen this Benoit. I mean, Benoit and Guerrero face each other on and off for years, all over different companies, in tag teams, in singles, in ladder matches, whatever. But this one here, it's on a random episode of Nitro may get overlooked may get forgotten about i don't know it's worth checking out i really think it is yeah same yeah okay um as this finishes we get eric bischoff saying he has a statement to make and he's going to get in the ring and do that after the break so we return from our ad break and eric bischoff is in the ring saying getting piper to sign has been really difficult dealing with his agents and his management He's been up to his ranch. He's been. He's done this. He's done that. And getting Bischoff to sorry, getting Piper to sign on for the match with Hogan is proving to be incredibly difficult. And he's he's sorry about that. And then Piper's music hits, and this is the first moment of, I suppose, a hint or a clue as to where we're heading. Because when Piper's music hits, Bischoff looks genuinely worried about this guy coming out. Which is out of character for the Eric Bischoff that we've seen so far, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the fact that earlier on, Eric Bischoff said, oh, dismissed the rumours of Piper being there. It sounded like now he was just doing wishful thinking. He was like, oh, Piper's not here. Piper's not here. But mm. really, he, had, he hadn't been bothered to go and do the research himself. Yeah, um, Piper gets in the ring and basically says that he's never heard so many lies in his life unless he's been saying them. <laughs> Points Eric Bischoff and says, you're a liar. And we're getting, and this is the moment of, wow, hang on, what is going on? 
And again, you've got to place yourself back. To, I mean, everyone's familiar with Bischoff in the NWO and the, the smarmy, grinning cat character, or Cheshire cat grin character and all this sort of stuff. But place yourself back into 1996. Yeah. You've got the guy who everyone at this point is aware runs WCW. And we're getting told he's a liar. And Piper is saying, when you came to speak to me in Portland, did you fly coach or did you fly first class? And Bischoff struggles to answer. So when you drove into my ranch, is the road crooked or is the road straight? And Bischoff again can't answer. And imagine being there as a wrestling fan in 96, not knowing what was coming. And because obviously this is live, it's not pre-tape. So you don't, it's not like you could find the results out elsewhere and whatever. And you're looking at Bischoff and you're, what is going on? And then the NWO hit the ring and attack Piper. And Hogan hugs Bischoff. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, there's a bit of a pull-apart brawl. I think Piper's great in this segment, diving through the ropes to try and get hold of them and get held back by police and so on. Um, Bischoff leaves with Hogan and we see for the first time him doing the we're not worthy bowing down to Hogan and on the entrance ramp that becomes quite a uh, prominent and, and revisited um, almost movement in, in, in their TV time and, and basically Piper says he will fight I will have a contract ready to sign uh, and so on and hints at a future show and all this sort of stuff Danny Talk us through what you were thinking when you, because I'm assuming this whole segment you might not have seen before. I have seen an edited version of this, but I was so happy that the WWE Network, as bad as it is, left in the line where Roddy Piper calls Eric Bischoff a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I watched it over and over and over again because I was like, yes, on YouTube, it's been blocked on certain DVDs, it's been blocked. But yeah, I love that. I loved Roddy Piper um, acting crazy and just saying, where, where, how did you get to my ranch? Was it crooked? I loved it. Um, I just thought that I think Roddy Piper should have... I mean, he did cut a promo at the end of it, but I think he should have been left standing. I don't think... If there was any physicality, I think he should have knocked out um, Vincent and maybe Six or something like that. I don't think Hogan and Piper should have touched each other or been in the same ring as each other or T's touching each other at this stage. That's just um, nitpicking, I know. But I love Derek Bischoff's reveal. Um, it didn't feel rushed at all or anything because if you look back, there's subtle little hints of Eric Bischoff going missing and then showing up and saying, oh, I was just in a meeting or something. Uh All of that makes sense. Um, I just wouldn't have had Roddy Piper get too physical and especially in a losing effort. What about you, mate? Do you think he did too much? Um, No, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't think... I liked the. I really liked the image of the police and the security being in there trying to hold Piper back, and the NWO fighting. And then at one point, they all spill to the outside, and Piper tries to yeah. dive through the ropes to yeah. get to Hogan, <laughs> and the security grab him and put him back in the ring. I liked that image. That felt real. That felt legit. And I first of all, I, I apologise. I've got a new chair, and it's crap, and it's creaking, and making loads of random noises behind me. So if, that, if my microphone's picking any of that up, I apologise. But yeah, I mean Piper himself. I suppose with Piper, it's 
he, he goes off on tangents. He doesn't stick to scripts. I don't think he's ever actually had a script to stick to in the first place. <laughs> and sometimes it really works. Sometimes it doesn't. Here, I think it was okay. Yeah. Here, I think the whole segment worked pretty well. And it got across the big thing that we needed. Eric Bischoff is with the NWO. And Hogan says that that, that iconic line of... Well, now we, it's all clear who everyone is working for. Yeah. It's like, okay, now we know what's going on. Now we know what's going on. We've got Tony, Sh- not Tony Shawnee, sorry. Um, I think it's Mike Tanay on commentary saying he feels sick or Bobby Heenan says he yeah. feels sick and so on. It's, I think it's very, very well done. It gets some criticism because it's a little bit, it, there's no big, da-da, it's, it was me Austin all along moment or anything mm. like that. But, Again, it feels kind of real. It's not. It's not hammed up. It's not done um, too carny or anything like that. It, it, it works for me. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. If now that's going to be very interesting to see how Eric Bush, how they announced him. I'm assuming Tony Schiavone's just become the lead announcer for hour or two. So here we are with the iconic um, announced team being born. That everyone, when you think of WCW announcers, you think Tony Schiavone, Mike Tanay, and Bobby Heenan. Yes. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And that's basically where the show goes off air, and we're stomping our way now to World War Three. Um, we will get to World War Three in a moment. Before we do that, we need to have a little chat about what we thought of this episode of Nitro in general, with our plus points and our negatives, our hits, misses, woos, and oh brothers. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Danny, first or second, my friend? I'll go first this week, mate. Okie doke, what have you got for us? So with the Oh Brother, it has to be the Chris Jericho's dubbed uh, entrance music. I, I said it earlier, it just doesn't fit him at all as this character. That character is Y2J. I know it's small and it's nitpicking, but he's not there yet. So that would be mine, mate. Fair enough. Uh, my Oh Brother is, is my negative, involves Chris Jericho as well, actually. It's the Saturday Night Interview segment. Yeah. With Teddy Long and the attorney and Nick Patrick and all that. It's obviously shit. Tony Schiavone <laughs> knew it was shit. You could see in his face on the segment. And from what he said, he knew it was shit. Yeah. So why reshow it? Why not edit yeah. it? Why not reshoot it? You know, rather than playing the shit version. Again, it's just WCW and certain aspects of how they do things not quite making sense for me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, your woo, my friend, your, your plus point. It has to be the Eric Bischoff heel reveal because um, uh, I've, I've seen it before, very, but I've never seen it in this entirety of this where you see the NWO beating down. Even though I didn't like Piper getting physical, too physical, it was still very effective and it was a really good way to end a go-home show for a pay-per-view. Mm. So, yeah, that would be mine, mate. What about you? Uh, well, I want to give a special shout-out to the Benoit Guerrero match. That was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I thought Lex Luger just looked an absolute star. And at this point in time, I think obviously Piper's arrived, so maybe you could argue Piper, but I think there's an argument for Luger still being their number one babyface at the moment. Yeah. Um all fantastic moments uh, there. But I'm I'm with you. My woo this week is the Eric Bischoff turn and the reveal that he's been part of this all, all along. Um he's now gonna be that evil bad guy, heel owner character. Or, or, or evil authority figure character 
some good year or so before a certain Mr. McMahon on the other channel made it famous. So that's always uh, <laughs> interesting for me. Again, WCW and Eric Bischoff were doing things before the WWF were, but you don't always get told that when you watch no. a WWF DVD. So there we go. No. Overall, then, Danny, hit, miss, or middling? Definitely a hit, mate. I mean, there was some bad stuff on this, like the amazing French Canadians and uh, the American males. But no, this was a historic episode. There was a lot going on. Um, and uh, yeah, this was Roddy Piper's first Nitro, wasn't it? It was. It was indeed. Yeah, so big hit for me, mate. How about you? Yeah, same. Absolutely big hit. Brilliant episode of Nitro. I mean, there's bits I would skip. Um, yeah. Hugh Morris, I'm looking at you. There's bits I would skip. Uh, well, no, actually, I wouldn't because he's in the ring with Luger and I like Luger. But there we go. Um, <laughs> there's bits. That it's, it's up and down in places, but overall, yeah. great show. The Bischoff turn, I will go back and watch again and again. So yeah, a big hit for me, my friend. Fantastic. So then, World War Three, the pay-per-view. We do this on every go-home edition of uh, Nitro Nights. For, well, for the go-home edition for pay-per-views of Monday Nitro. I asked Danny, what can he remember that is booked on the pay-per-view? Because WCW aren't always the best at telling us what we're getting on the Sunday Night Super Shows. So Danny, World War III, 1996. Can you tell me the card, please? So, from what I'm trying to remember, I know we've got Nick Patrick versus Chris Jericho with one yep. arm time to have his back. We've got the main event, uh, which is the free ring battle royal. Mm-hmm. And we've got a triple threat tag team match between the Outsiders, Harlem Heat, and no, Outsiders. Uh, See, now I'm confused. Outsiders, Nasty Boys, and Faces of Fear, that's it. Yes, yeah. that's right, yeah. Yeah, and I know Harlem Heat are wrestling. Um, I believe it's the Amazing French Canadians. That's that right. Yeah, yeah, that's all I can remember. <laughs> what about you, mate? Okay, we've got a Cruiserweight title match. Dean yeah. Malenko is taking on Psychosis. Yeah. I think Rey Mysterio wrestles Ultimo Dragon on the show. I think we'll have to confirm that when we get around to watching it. Because again, a little bit of context for everyone listening. We don't look ahead. If I remember anything from memory from being a WCW fan, then that's that, so be it. But we don't look ahead until we watch it to record. So it's, you know, some things can be a bit hazy. Um, and also the giant is facing Jeff Jarrett. I know that for is happening. Yes. Yeah. But I think that's pretty much the whole card. So oh. yeah, we're not, oh, oh, we might get... Sister Sherry versus Colonel Robert Parker. If Harlem <laughs> Heat win, I'm going to have a Let's guess hope. and say they will win. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there we go. Right then, Danny, a brilliant episode again, my friend. Really enjoyed yeah. watching this Nitro so I could talk back um, with you about it for this episode of Nitro Nights. Before yeah. we depart, however, and I go into full on plugging mode with some brand new shows coming to SJP World Media that you'll want to hear about in just a moment. Danny, do you want to let us know whereabouts people can find you and all the good stuff you're involved in, please? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggler. You can hear me on One Man's Meat Podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. You can hear me on Nitro Nights where we'll be looking at the paid review next week with the great Cy Powell. Uh, you're, you're far too kind. You're far too kind. <laughs> um, 
anything I am involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show. That's SJP World Media on Facebook, Twitter, etc., etc., and all your podcast players, platforms, and providers. Uh, and we cover all sorts of stuff. We've got more wrestling shows on there. We've got shows that look at television, like Doctor Who, Quantum Leap, Murder in Mind, etc., etc. We've got Back When with Danny himself and Tyler Peters looking back when to literally all sorts of stuff, music, sport, films, anything at all, nostalgia-based podcast. We've got In the Corner and RSH, both looking at modern-day WWE week by week, from one from either side of the pond. RSH are our fabulous friends from Ohio in the States, whereas uh, In the Corner is our good buddy Benny Mac and Tyler Peters, a little bit closer to home in the UK, and all sorts of other stuff going on with the network as well. But the one I really want to tell you about is the day this show drops via SJP World Media, which is the 3rd of August, 2023. Uh, that night, The Volley joins SJP World Media. The Volley is a football show, or soccer if you're from the States, I suppose, and it's going to be looking at all sorts of professional football, from European games to Premier League games to La Liga, MLS, Bundesliga, all sorts of stuff going on there. There will be live watch-alongs on the weekend. So if you're sat at home watching the football and you want someone to talk to, you can join them in the chat with all the all the other football fans that will be on there. And uh, you can discuss the game that you're watching with like-minded football fans, hosted by the brilliant at the Matt Attack UK, Mr. Matt Lewis, and our good friend Dan Griffin, at Dan Griffin 21 from the Doctor Who pod and UTT, etc., etc. And also a revolving door of other hosts taking part, depending on who is playing those particular games. The volley will also be coming to you in a podcast or audio format with regards to a recap show, looking at all the weekend's action and where it leaves every team and league standing week by week as the season progresses. So you can find that show, first of all, via all the social media links for at SJP World Media, or you can find The Volley itself on Facebook and Twitter at The Volley Show. That's at The Volley Show. Make sure you have liked, subscribed, followed, and all that good stuff, and especially the SJP World Media YouTube channel, which you can find, again, simply by searching SJP World Media. Make sure you're subscribed to that. So when Chain Wrestling, In the Corner, gameplay junkies looking at computer games and, and that whole world and everything else including the new football coverage from the volley whenever they go live you'll get a notification so you will never miss any of these brilliant shows by these brilliant hosts so make sure you are doing that and lastly and most importantly you can find and follow this show itself via facebook and twitter at nitro underscore nights that's at nitro underscore nights looking forward to next week danny a pay-per-view bloody love pay-per-view day don't we absolutely man it's gonna be a war yeah it is indeed it is indeed i'll speak to you next week bud take care mate and to everyone else as always thank you for listening